thought we'd start the show off like that? Birdland BS. Check it out. What's up, Birdland BSers? Fred and Scott here. Episode 44. It's May 8th. And this is Raw Emotions. It's a pretty good title for the wave of emotions going through Birdland and Washington today. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on what's your, uh, your sport of taste, you are either high as a kite right now with the way the Caps are playing... Or you're as low as dog shit with the way the Orioles are playing. <laughs> There's no in between here, man. And it's if you're a, a Ravens fan, you're stuck in the middle because you don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Very true. Uh, so this Birdland BS, Fred here, Scott, uh, Facebook Live. Um, let's jump into some happy news, man. Let's. Uh, I don't want to start off with uh, the depressing team that is the Orioles. So uh, <laughs> let's talk a little happiness, man. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing my uh, Caps jersey today. I'm feeling good. Uh, what a way to, to finish finish out the, the Penguins and uh, get the monkey off the back, huh? You mean that monkey named Sidney Crosby? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, that guy. guy he's been our he's been the kryptonite for the Caps for years now, yeah. and finally. It's it's so nice to be saying we're going to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's crazy. I mean, I don't know if you any of you out there if you got to watch the uh, the videos after the show and uh, see the players celebrate. You would have thought they won the Stanley Cup already. They're not even in the Stanley Cup yet. They're just in the Eastern Conference Finals. But that just goes to show how important this series was and how important beating Pittsburgh. Uh, not just to beat Pittsburgh, but to beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh last night. Oh my god, it's, it's huge! It's huge, man! And 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 to not have it go to Game Seven too. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, you know, the Caps you know, could have had this game closed out a little early. They should have had a, a game earlier in the series, series Game One, uh, but they let that one get away from them. So. Look, I, I could care less how many games it takes four, five, six, whatever. We talked about it last week. The Caps looked like they were struggling to get back on defense and during several of the games. And I tell you what, they were on their game last night. Yeah, man. It, you know, it's it's funny because you got to understand, like these, the Caps were playing very, very shorthanded. They lost one of their best defenders in Tom Wilson to the suspension. They lost probably their best overall player on both ends of the ice and Nick Backstrom to an injury. He was kind of, you know, a game time decision, whether he was going to play or not, just went out on the ice early on and, and didn't feel it. So they, they sat him down. Um, so to, to be able to win again against a team like Pittsburgh, two time defending champions in Pittsburgh, close it out in six games without two of your big pieces, man. Well, not to mention, I mean, when you look at this series as a whole, the Pens scored, Three goals in every game except for two. Yeah. In game two and game six, they held them to one goal in each game. Those were the, yeah, I mean, those were the pivotal games, in my opinion, in this series. Yeah. You know, the, to hold the pens 
to one goal at home, nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Holtby was on his game. Yep. The defense was playing well. You know, you and I talked about it with Kuznetsov, who he kind of didn't you, – you brought it up. He, he didn't look on his game. I mean, what were you seeing? Well, see, I had saw some some plays where normally, you know, especially around the net, where he can – I mean, he's probably the best puck handler, if not for, for sure on the team, uh, maybe in the NHL. He's, he's, his ability oh, yeah. to handle the puck is second to none. Um, but, you know, there was a few plays where he got close into the net and just – didn't finish it. He had one where he had the goalie basically on his back, and all he had to do was lift the puck in the air. Oh yeah, front, <laughs> top front corner, top back. Yeah, corner, I mean he had the whole corner. upper half of the goal wide open, and I don't know what it was. It looked like he just hesitated, and that's all it takes, man. It it takes a half a second for you to hesitate, and you miss your opportunity. When they when they slowed that replay down, it looked like almost it almost looked as if the the stick got caught. But it, when you look at it close enough. You're exactly right. It looks like a complete hesitation on yeah. his part. Yeah, I don't know what it was, and I mean, now granted, I kind of, I kind of found out uh, later on in the game because that's not just the only thing that I saw with Kuzi. He just seemed to not be playing with the same energy, and he seemed to almost be playing a lot of like uh, zone coverage. We'll say, you know, I, I, I know it's not hockey terms, but just to kind of simplify, it almost seemed like he was playing in an area. Where he's a guy that you know usually matches up with some of the better you know players on their on their right. teams. He's going against somebody. Yeah, and he seemed to play in an area, and I think that was des- by design. You know, they had to change their defensive game plan completely when you lose a Tom Wilson and you know you lose a Nick Backstrom, and, and you know you've got these guys, these big pivotal pieces that aren't there. Uh, you know, the lines get changed around a little bit. Who's playing on what line and that kind of thing. Uh, so I, I think that that played a big part of it, but at the end of the day, who gives a shit? Team one, <laughs> Caps yeah, right. are going to the uh, the Eastern Conference Final. What's it been like? Twenty years? I think it's been. See, I, I keep hearing it float back and forth, but I think the technical is nineteen years. Mm. Um, you know that it's that it's actually been, um, and that hiatus feels so great as a Caps fan. You know, just to to not have to be stuck. I mean, we've been stuck for so long in that rut. Right of the second round, yeah, it's been the curse, and it's as soon as the Pens win, as soon as the Caps win, you go, here we go again. <laughs> you know, right. you, you, for it's happened so many times. You're like the Cinderella story is not going to happen like we want it to, and it's not it's not a Cinderella story, but in this in this series, it is a Cinderella story. It absolutely is. And- so they've played well. You know the the biggest. The biggest person I saw play a big role in yesterday's game, and you and I talked about this, TJ Yoshi. Yeah. He was he was keeping the pens on their heels on offense. Yeah, and he and kind of uh keeping along with with TJ Oshi's season, man. He had a couple of honor opportunities, one that just banged off the post, man. He's probably been one of the most unlucky players this year. If you follow the caps and if you've been watching Oshi, he has just had an off season, you know, I kind of attributed some of it early on to lingering effects of the head injury. You know, he had the concussion injury and I don't think he, you know, was a hundred percent when he came back and played. Um, but you know, so he struggled to get going, but then it seemed like he kind of got his feet under himself, you know, throughout the season. And he, I mean, night after night, just missing some, basic wide open like opportunities that he couldn't finish that you'd normally see an Oshi finish uh and and it would be things like that you know p- 
pucks bouncing off the post, you know, the goalie making an amazing save on somebody, something that they would have never made a save on in their life. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just things did not go Oshie's way. So, and again, that, that kind of trickled over to last night. But again, I think his overall play uh, on both sides of the ice uh, did really well. You know, you want to know one person who was really worried and was fretting things. If you miss this, <laughs> we've got it for take you. A, take a listen. This is going to be Alex Ovechkin after the game. He's got some choice words, so children are around. We suggest you cover their ears. I promise it's coming. Technical difficulties, apologize. What are you thinking as you watch him do that? Please score. (laughs) Just fucking please score. You can't get any better than that. Just fucking score. Exactly. I mean, that just goes to show like how much this game and and beating Pittsburgh meant to him. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, what's it been? Three years now in a row up until this year that the Penguins have knocked the, the Caps out of the playoffs. You know, after they've been the best team statistically in the NHL those three seasons, they come into this season where... There's some changes, you know, by because of financial reasons, they couldn't keep some of their best players and they had to let some people go and that kind of thing. And a lot of the experts really thought that this team might even struggle to make the playoffs, uh, yet alone get in uh, and get to where they're at now. Uh, so, you know, it, it just goes to show that talent doesn't always win you a championship because this team has, has had better talent on it for the past few years that it has this year. I think this season you really saw the key players step up, play to their potential, and not just go into every single game thinking, we're the better team, we're going to win this game, we don't need to put in our best effort to do that. And uh, you're seeing the, the the good result from that. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at, when you look at the, uh, you know, the stats from last night's game, Ovi was in it. Ovi had seven hits last night. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the next guy behind him is Jay Beagle at five. Yeah. I mean, he was on his game. He spent he was on the ice longer than anybody except for Niskanen, who was on the ice for thir- almost 30 minutes. And I'm sorry, Orlov was also on the ice for 27. Ovi was on for 23. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, definitely a guy you want to keep on the ice. And Niskanen, you know, was also on his game last night. Um, having three hits, one shot on goal, one block, which was an amazing block. Right. Um, you know, so I think just overall, you had them, you had them really well. Yeah, and then I think the uh, the unsung hero, obviously, of the series has got to be Holpe. I mean, he went <clears throat> he went into this ser- this series, really went into this playoffs, uh, taking a lot of heat, taking a lot of criticism that he wasn't playing up to his game, and kind of Grubauer had really surplanted him in the starting role, um, played really well, you know, to close out the regular season. Uh, didn't do so well in the first round of the playoffs. Caps were, you know, lucky enough to get through that first round, and, and they made the switch to Holpe. And obviously, you know, you go back to last night, but you really look at this entire series, and that could be the decision maker that that ultimately got this team to where they're at today. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it, it played a huge role. I mean, Holpe is, I think, in your in your words, he is the unsung hero. Yeah, you know, of, of the game of the series, yeah, especially the game. 
Yeah, I mean, to game, hold them game to six. one, to game hold them to one, in Pittsburgh? and you know they they were going for the throat. Oh yeah, you know they were going for the throat. They were trying to finish, you know, trying to get themselves a back in it, but not let it happen at home. Right. You know, and I, and I'll give it. You know, again, Hopey made some unbelievable saves in that game, but Pittsburgh really didn't get a whole lot of shots on goal, a whole lot of clean shots on goal, and a lot of that had to do with the overall team defense. Um, considering, like I said, they played so shorthanded, they did a real good job in stepping up and uh, closing out that series. And on to Tampa Bay next. See, that's the thing that we as fans and, and, and hopefully the team doesn't lose sight of. This is just one series. There's still two more very important series to go. Uh, so you can't just relax and think that uh, because you beat Pittsburgh, you know, you've got the golden ticket to go to the Stanley Cup. Tampa Bay is a damn good team. Yeah, they are. Uh, I think the Caps were 1-1-1 one, one, and one against them through their series play this year. So they've played the Caps well. They've played the Caps well in you know their history over the past few years. So it's going to be a tough matchup. But uh, I'm just excited to get an opportunity to be in this you know third round, the Eastern Conference Finals. So we'll, uh, we'll see how things go. Game one, Tampa Friday Bay. Night, Friday night, 8 o'clock. Yes, sir. Yeah, let's – I mean – we we definitely need it. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be playing in a hole if not next uh, next Tuesday when we do our next show. Yeah. they're gonna be playing as well. They start at eight o'clock that night, so we will be uh, updating you during the show. Yeah, what's hopefully going we on. can do live uh, live Facebook again or Facebook Live again and uh, live stream the game. Maybe I can work on getting that uh, up here and, and available for you guys to watch on the screen as you're listening to us. That'd be nice. Yeah, absolutely. Especially since we need the. We need the wins. We need to get to. We need to get through Tampa Bay. Yeah. You've, you've got to get through Tampa Bay because what you don't want it is all this hoopla and all this excitement surrounding beating the Pens, getting getting yourselves to the Eastern Conference Finals after 19 years, and you fall flat on your face against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I can see it happening. I hate to say it, but right. if, like you said, if they don't, if they let off the gas, Tampa Bay is just going to fly right by you. Yeah, they're a fast team, so we'll see. I, I just, you know. I'm glad we got through Pittsburgh. That's a big monkey off the back. Maybe that makes the team, you know, a little bit more relaxed. They're not as, you know, they're not as tense or things like that. So they'll play better in this series in Tampa Bay. We'll see. Uh, so they, as long as they can keep the intensity that they've been over these last few games, uh, they should do pretty well uh, in the next series. Absolutely. So I, I'm kind of. Do we really want to do this? Section? I know. I'm regretting, like even. <laughs> Having to go through this because if you're watching, you're probably just going to turn it off now because we have to talk about these depressing Orioles and uh, what's going on in Birdland right now, man. Uh, eight and 26, 17 back in the AL East. Uh, probably going to be eight and 27. I think they're losing like, what is it? 10 to one or 10 to two currently tonight, 13 to one. Oh, it's gone even worse. Awesome. <laughs> That's just great. Uh, Bundy, I think gave up four home runs tonight early in the first inning. So, uh, even the one shining, <laughs> shining piece and shining, uh, you know, Omen with this team has kind of turned the tide these last three starts of his. So it's killing me. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's, it's after tough. that that Cy Young prediction, it's like after this game, uh, I, I was like, all right. And after the first five minutes, I'm going, all right, shit. Well, yeah, there goes his ERA. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
So I, I guess the first thing that I want to bring up with this team and something that's kind of like been bothering me um, is decision-making in the front office moving forward, right? So we all know Bucks contracts up at the end of the year, Dan Duquette's contracts up at the end of the year, your biggest trade piece in Manny Machado contract ends at the end of this year. Adam Jones contract ends at this, you know, at the end of the season, there's a lot of moving pieces here. There's a lot of really critical pieces uh, and things that need to happen over the next few weeks, next few months. The thing that bothers me the most is that Dan Duquette is going to be setting this team up for the future. Now I know Brady Anderson's still there and you know, he obviously has say in this, you know I mean? He's, he's actually has rank uh, over Dan Duquette, but that's kind of where I wonder how much effort is Dan Duquette and what kind of effort is Dan Duquette really going to be putting in to setting this team up for future success. If he's already got a plan in the back of his head of moving on after this year, you know, there's always still that Toronto thing that lingers in the background. I can't honestly see after these last couple years, Toronto still being interested in him. And I really can't see any other teams he's pulling got, interest in him, but he's, he's got to do something. And here's why, because if he doesn't, I don't know that any team's going to take him. Yeah, and that's the that's the one caveat that I'm trying to like hang my hat on is that he has to do something, but something doesn't always equate to the best thing. And you know, there's all this talk now obviously with you know, Manny and the certain situation in LA with Seager going down and you know, maybe the possibility of there being a trade between him and the Dodgers, you know, with us and the Dodgers, which the Dodgers are loaded with talent, you know, and, and, uh, prospects, which would be good. Uh, there's also been some talks today that the Cubs made it, you know, apparent that look, don't forget about us. Yeah. They're very interested. Give us a call, you know, before you make anything final, Well, let's, let's look at their, their track history with Orioles players, right. <laughs> former Orioles players. Right. And that's, that's another thing that scares me too, is like dealing with Theo Epstein. Uh, he is the cream of the crop. He is one of the best. When's his contract up? And uh, can we get Angelus on the phone? Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, he's one of the best. I mean, it, you know, he comes from Boston and all that. And he you know had those years in Boston where he was real successful, and he went on to Chicago. And you know, obviously, things have gone pretty well for Chicago since then. So, you know, Dan Duquette dealing with a mastermind like Theo Epstein, you know, I worry about that. I worry that, you know, you mean you're worried he's going to rob us blind. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And, and, and I don't, <laughs> that's exactly what's going to happen if we deal with Theo Epstein. I hate to tell you, but I, I mean, know. And that's, and that scares me because this is something that could either really set the team up for future success or something that could really set this team up for future failure. Uh, you've got to make this a home run type deal. And, Andy McPhail did a damn good job with some of the deals that he made before his, you know, before his demise out of Baltimore. I'd like to say the same thing's going to happen with Duquette, that he's going to make, you know, one of these big deals, whether it's Manny, whether it's, you know, Adam Jones and, and departing. I mean, look, this team, like I said, they're eight and 26. You have to cross all bridges and 
all opportunities. And if there's a team that comes calling for Adam Jones and it's going to bring you back a good package, you have to be open to listening to it. So this is really off the wall, but I'm just going to have fun with it. Since why not? <laughs> all right. We trade Manny Machado, mm-hmm. Adam Jones, and I'll throw in Zach Braden. All is one package deal? Package deal. Oh, boy. And we'll even throw in Dan Duquette. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now I know it's hypothetical. <laughs> For Theo Epstein. Yeah. <laughs> Epstein's on a five-year contract. Oh, God. That would never happen. <laughs> he was on a five-year contract from 2016. Or, I'm sorry, 2017 season. <clears throat> he was on an extension. Who the hell would have to make that a deal? Like Theo Epstein would have to agree to himself. Being, like, how does I that think that's work? an agreement between the owners. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that would work, but uh, <laughs> let's make it happen. Yeah, that's all I'm right. saying. He's not. I mean, you can't you can't do anything with Theo Epstein until like 2022 anyway. Yeah. Now so. I don't obviously <laughs> don't see a deal like that happening, but I do see, and I'm not opposed to. Brady Anderson maybe stepping up and taking over that role and it just being a a definitive role for him. None of this, you know, multiple, multiple heads, too many chiefs, not enough Indians type of thing. Uh, You need, you know, a clear cut decision maker to lead the front office. And I feel like right now, like we go back and forth over, well, who's making the decisions? Is it Duquette? Is it, is it Brady Anderson? There needs to be a clear cut guy that is negotiating these deals. And, you know, everything that we've heard, you know, about the, the Kashner um, negotiations and the Cobb negotiations, they seem to go through Anderson more so than Duquette. And, you know, despite what's happened with this team and what's going on currently, I don't think that those were bad deals in any kind of way. I'm still okay with those deals. Uh, but, you know, when you think about some of the contract that, that Duquette has kind of put together, uh, you know, over his tenure here, the Davis deal, the Ubaldo deal, you know, a lot of deals that have gone south for this team. Something needs to change. It can't be Duquette any longer. Does Buck does Buck move to a GM role? Chuck Buck is a a major talent scout. Yeah. I mean, he's we've talked about it. He's like one of the only player or one of the only uh, managers out there that'll actually go out to you know minor league games. I think he, you move him. I think you keep Brady where he's at. Okay. I would be curious to see the relationship between Brady and and Buck. But then you got the manager role. Right. And where do you fill that? I just feel like <clears throat> a managerial role is a much easier role to fill than a GM spot. You know, a GM, a GM is what's going to build this team and what kind of orchestrates everything from ground A, from single A all the way through the major league level. Your your managerial spot, as crucial as it is, I'm not like trying to downplay it in any kind of way. And as, as, as big as Buck has been, you know, for his tenure here, I just wonder if maybe the message is a little sour and how much longer really does Buck want to do this? You know, how much longer does Buck really want to be the manager of this team moving forward? If he keeps getting the pieces, he's getting not very long. I, like I said, I think you, you really have to have to do it. Um, 
Thanks, Jason. Apparently, Jason can't hear you. Okay. Yeah, I got you. <clears throat> Want to bump that up? Go ahead. So, but yeah, I think I think uh, Buck is Buck is a guy who, like I said, he's a, he's a real talent scout. He is a guy that is is going to do exactly what you said and bring them together and bring them to a point where you you are having the continuity across the league or you know across your your teams. So I think that's definitely a good role. I just then say, okay, you've got to have somebody who's going to be able to handle Buck. Who's going to be able to talk to him. And you look at this rash of players, that have, former players that have been hired recently as managers. No true manager experience for most of them. Yeah. But it's you know what it is? It's a knowledge of the game. Guys like Brad Ausmus. Right. Guys like Alex Cora. You know, th- these guys are getting it because of their knowledge of the game. They're not just getting it because they were a name in that city. And that may play a role into it, but it's they have a knowledge of the game. Yeah. And clearly, it with some of these teams, it's working. You know, you have a guy who, I, I, as much as I love some of the older, I'm a big old school guy. Right. I love, you know who, you know who I love the most in, in, as far as coaches go and managers go? Ron Washington. <laughs> Ron Washington, that guy. If you watch some videos, there's videos all over, you know, YouTube, all over Facebook of guys that are working one-on-one with Ron Washington and he's doing infield drills after infield drill. As a manager, he was doing this. Right. You know, this isn't him just being a coach, it's him being a manager. I love old school like that. But you got to have somebody that can relate to these players. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you're like you said, you're seeing it across the league. The Yankees, Aaron Boone, the Phillies with Gabe Kapler. You know, I mean, there's <laughs> there have been some question marks around these guys, you know, and them getting these are really their first managerial jobs, and they're starting at the major league level. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. Um, it, it'll just be interesting to see what the Orioles do moving forward because there's so many different directions that they can go in, and <clears throat> that kind of brings me to my next point. So. If you're realistic, I mean, I know, you know, baseball, the Orioles, it's a 162-game series or 162-game season. I get that. But, again, the team is 8-26. and They're 17 games back. If you think this team is going to make some sort of a miraculous comeback and get into this thing, I want to smoke whatever it is that you're smoking. I want to eat the brownie that it is that you're eating. Like, seriously, if you think that that's really realistic – Smoke another. So my question to you is, moving forward, do we start maybe sitting or releasing some of the dead weight on this team to try to bring up some of the younger talent that's sitting in the wings to evaluate what you have? The reason I bring this up and I'll just use him as an example, Chris Tillman. I I do not want to see this guy make another start on this team. I don't. He he's been terrible. He had one good start. He's at a nine something ERA. He's awful. DFA him and eat the money. I mean, that's look, at this point, the way he started, if somebody's gonna take him, let him take him off a waiver. Right, like don't just if you, and if nobody takes him, then you can put him in the minors. He can deal, you know, he can deal down there. That's fine. That's not a problem. Um, but I think you have to you have to really set up and say what 
what are you going to do with a guy who's not even a number five? Right. I mean, a nine-something ERA, that doesn't float anywhere. It doesn't go good anywhere. So you've got a guy like David Hess sitting down in the minor leagues who just had another brilliant start at AAA last night. He's got a two-point-something ERA. Even if he comes up here and he pitches to the tune of a five or four, four and a half or five run ERA, that's way better than what we're getting out of Chris Tillman right now. And it gives him time to develop and give him time to learn at the major league level, let him get his bumps. You know, he's going to have some highs, he's going to have some lows. That's just part of the learning curve. But he's 24 years old. And at some point, he's got to get a shot. What better opportunity than now? You've got three quarters or more of a season left on a team that has no shot at coming back in this thing. Same thing with, you know, even some of the position players. You You never know. They could go on a run. (laughs) (laughs) As much as as we paid Chris Davis and we got to do what we got to do with that contract. We got to eat it. You know, it is what it is. At this point, you sit him. And, you know, you let Trey Mancini maybe take over at first base and you bring up a guy like an Austin Hayes or you bring up a Cedric Mullins or you bring up both of them and and you you evaluate what you have. Cedric Mullins, I said this, you know, early on in spring training, he is your next true leadoff hitter. And this team has sorely lacked a leadoff hitter ever since Brian Roberts retired. Ever since Brian Roberts left the Orioles. I will disagree with that statement. I, well, I know where you're going to kind of go with this, I think. Nick Markakis. And I, I agree with you in the sense that he did a good job in the leadoff spot, but he's not your traditional leadoff hitter. He's not a stolen base threat. You know, he's not a guy that can um, get in, get into the mind of a, of a pitcher on the base path. Like, that's important as a leadoff hitter, because as a leadoff hitter, you've, I think it is. You got to be. There's certain things that I look for in a leadoff hitter, right? You've got to be a true table setter. You got to be a guy that can make a pitcher work, and that's one thing that Brian Roberts did great. He could foul balls off with the best of them and get a 10, 12 pitch at bat with ease. You need a guy that's going to have high on base percentage. And you need to have a guy that can kind of, like I said, get in the mind of a pitcher and steal some bases here and there to avoid double plays, to get runners into scoring position early on in the game. Um, I just, and we haven't had that. We have not had that. I will, I will say, like you, you know, I agree with you with with Nick Markakis. I think he he played the leadoff position well when we were in need of it. And we don't have another Nick Markakis on this roster to be able to put you know somebody else in that spot. I'm look, I'm I'm bitter about Nick Markakis, not because he was a, in my opinion, that he was your best leadoff option that you had, and he did well with it. You know, the guy put up more doubles than anybody on the team. You mm-hmm. know, in the in the last two years that he was here, that he was healthy for the full season. But under that same token, that's where I have to say I disagree as far as the leadoff hitter with the threat, because in today's day and age, I don't think you're seeing as many stolen bases. As you have, and the guys that are trying to steal, I mean, who would have thought Chance Cisco has been throwing out as many guys as he, as he has been? No, I know. And that was a big knock on him coming up was his ability to throw. Exactly. You know, and so is that, 
a relationship between catchers getting better? Is it, you know, the pitchers getting getting the ball in quicker? You know, there's there's several different things. But I think the stolen base thing is I play fantasy. I, I love love playing fantasy baseball. Yeah. It's one thing I've seen in this in the season this year. There's not a lot of guys in fantasy. I've been searching for him. I had yeah. Billy Hamilton on my team, and he's sucking at hitting, so he's not even getting on base to be able to steal. But, I mean, that's one thing that you aren't seeing. If you look in fantasy, it's hard to find a guy that's it's you know leading the league in stolen bases that has more than like seven. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that as a whole, really, you know, across major leagues, your idea of a traditional leadoff hitter it's kind of a lost art in a lot of ways. You don't see these kind of you know hitters coming through anymore. You know, I thought <clears throat> I was looking at stats the other night, like I said uh, in the last podcast. I looked at the starting lineup the other night. We had two guys, two guys in our starting lineup hitting over 250. Two, right? You go back to the mid-90s days, like 96, 97. We had Roberto Alomar, and we had, you know, um, Bobby Bonilla, and, you know, Rafael Palmero, and it was hard Hard to find a guy hitting below 280 on those rosters. Yeah, that's true. Like, so hitting as a whole, I think, is down. Averages wise, average wise, I right. think average wise, hitting is just plummeted over the years. And that could be a lot of things. I mean, it could have been juiced balls back in the day. It could be, you know, because the home run was a big thing. It could be the pitching's gotten better. I mean, it, or it could just be. That you know what, these hitters, this class of hitters, this generation of hitters just isn't what that generation was, you know, in the 90s. How much um, does the shift play a role into it? How much does the shift, you know, all the analytics and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, all that, all that stuff plays a factor. But I, I would personally, you've got a guy, like I said, Cedric Mullins in the wings who has the ability to do a lot of things that a leadoff hitter you you look for in a traditional leadoff hitter. He can bunt. He can work a count. His on-base percentage is good. He's a doubles hitter. He's got good speed. You know, there's a lot to him. And personally, at 8-20, and 20, you know, whatever it is, 8-26, and 8-27 and after tonight, I'd rather see Cedric Mullins in the starting lineup and Trey Mancini at first base than to watch Chris Davis strike out four times. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I... I think you definitely have some guys out there that can that can handle. I mean, you've already shown that you're willing to give guys a chance when you take three Rule Five guys on your opening day roster, right? I mean, if that doesn't say that you weren't prepared for the season, I don't know what does. Um, for me, I think it's it's the fact it's the fact that you you don't as a as an organization seem committed until. It's it's ironic because last year and this year, the two years that we've really struggled are the years I've heard a different tone. In years in the years that we we went to the playoffs, what did we hear? Do you remember the statements that we used to hear from Buck and and Dan? It was competitive baseball. Yeah, competitive. What did they say this year and last year? We're in it to win it. We're all in. Right. Well, you're really not showing it. No. You know, right. you're you're not showing it at all. And at this point, I think you've got a deal, and maybe maybe Cedric Mullins is that guy, but I think there might be another guy out there who may be better. No, and you're right, there might be, but 
we don't know what we have in him other than what he's done at the double, you know, double A level. Right. You got to bring him up at some point and what a better opportunity than now. You know, where when you've got a team that is underperforming as badly as this team is, you know this team doesn't have a shot at making a comeback in any kind of way. It's just not going to happen. What a better way than to bring up players now and really get a chance to evaluate some of the young talent that you have. Because, again, this is a crucial year moving forward for whoever's going to be the next GM. And and if it's somebody coming in from the outside... Is it Dan again, do you think? No. There's no way in hell Dan Duquette comes back here next year. There's no way. I will forfeit my license as an Orioles fan if that happens again <laughs> next year. It better not happen. Um, I, I just, I'm sitting here thinking, like, you you have that, that potential scenario... If Dan goes ahead and say, gets the go, go, the go ahead and says, "All right, we're going to trade off," you know, Jonesy and, and Machado and pull in these two these two young rookies. Does Angelus give him another shot? I, I mean, can't, thinking I cannot see that happening. I, I can't see it either. But at, at, at the same time, I'm we sit here and we question what's going to happen. There has been no discussions about any kind of contract extensions. You've heard no rumblings, you know, last year going into this year or two years ago going into this year, like, hey, next year we're going to evaluate, maybe sign him to a three-year deal. Like nothing. You've heard nothing of, Not the, po- a lick. of the positive. So I cannot see that happening uh, moving forward. And like I said, I, it, I really hope it doesn't. Um, but I think if you are going to bring somebody in, from the outside, who really doesn't know this team that well, well, then it'd be nice to have some tape on some of these younger guys at the major league level so you can see how they're doing. You know what I mean? To see and really have a good snapshot you know of who how I've they're seen performing. There's two guys, and they pitch today. Uh, who's that? The favorite experiment of yours... Good old Mike Wright Jr. Oh, Christ. And Arahu. Arahu, whatever the hell his name is. Another Rule 5 guy that they brought in and is taking up another roster spot. He's pitched so far. They, they We're in the sixth inning. He's pitched one and a third. He's given up four hits, three earned runs, three strikeouts, one homer. Yeah. He had a lot of promise, you know, through spring training. He had a good couple of first, you know, first couple of weeks of the season. And I think if you were going to hang on to any of the Rule 5 draft picks outside of Santander, because Santander just made sense because he was only going to have to be here for 45 days. If you were going to hang on to anybody, he was the one to hang on to um, just because he shows promise. And I think at this point, sadly, like the, the Arahu – he can make it at this level. Maybe not this year. And again, he's going to have his highs and he's going to have his lows. And he's, he's already gone through that. He's had some highs and he's had some lows. At this point, like I said, you're not trying to salvage the season or anything. So do you cut him and, and bring in somebody else that's down in the wings? Or do you try to keep him in the organization? Like that's a decision that you'd have to make. Mike Wright, we know what we're getting in Mike Wright. Like that, not, that guy needs to just get the hell out of town cut ties, cut ways with him. Like he is awful. He is garbage. Yeah. It's the experiment. Like we've, we've talked about this so many times. The experiment is over. 
It yeah. is over. Like, why do you keep throwing him out there? Like, I understand it's a th- it's it's a ten run lead in the first inning, but I don't care. Put right. Castro out there. Let him throw. Let him right. get used to it. Stretch him out. What did we say at the beginning of the season? Castro was a was a great potential option to be able to stretch out, and they didn't do it in spring training. No, I know. And I think if you if you stretch him out, you give him a little bit more of a chance. He can he can be that guy that in these situations you you bring him in. Right. But what do you do? You go right back to having him coming in in the sixth and the seventh inning. Yeah. And it's just it's getting to the point where it's getting ridiculous in my opinion. Um. I mean, I'm just sitting here looking at, at everything. You know, Santander's on still on the roster. Um. I thought his 45 days up was was up last week. I know it was coming up soon. Week. I'm not exactly sure what day it was. Um. But he's, you know, at, at this point, he's hitting 200. He's okay defensively. Yeah, okay, I, and that's nothing spectacular. I, no, I'm not. Like he's made a few good, a few great plays, a few, a few great grabs. But you know who deserves an everyday playing position? Craig Gentry. Yeah, I mean, defensively, he's done great. He's just he, he's not consistent enough offensively. In is, my eyes. Is that a is that a Kim problem though? Is that a he's not getting enough chances? I agree with I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I mean he's he's been parts of what nine or ten major league seasons now. Like, I mean, he's been around. And this for has a been while. his best fit so far. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely his best opportunity to get playing time uh with some of the rosters and teams that he's been on in the past, but I don't think he's an answer for the future. I think that this team has better prospects down in the minors with higher ceilings that I'd rather see get more playing time than Gentry personally. Now, if we were in contention still and we were trying to really make a run at this thing, I think Gentry is the better option today to plug in. What's your biggest so if if we're talking outfield he's not is that is that your biggest spot for next year? Like let's look let's look for, let's try and predict the future here. Right. Let's look next year. What is your biggest spot that you need to be looking for right now? Whether it's trading, you know, during through a trade, whether it's through potential free agency next year, whatever. What is the biggest hole that the Orioles are going to need to fill next year? Uh, I mean, it's going to be the outfield because uh, I mean, when you think about it, you've got four guys still under contract next year that don't look terrible for your starting roles, your, your starting pitchers. You've got Bundy, you've got Gosman, you've got Kashner, and you've got Cobb. If things go as planned and those guys stay healthy, that's four solid starters that you have going into next year. Um, you've probably got your catcher in the future of Chancisco. We went over him. Um, I think Caleb next year will be designated to a backup role if he's even on this roster next year. Uh, I mean, his bat has been awful. I say you sneak him in a deal somewhere. (laughs) If anybody will take our garbage. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, obviously there's going to be a hole at shortstop or third base, depending upon what you do there. I mean, obviously, Manny leaves, you move Beckham back to short, so your hole is probably going to be third base. You've got Ryan Mountcastle, who's just coming back from injury, uh, who's going to go through, you know, his – rehab starts and everything down in the minors probably will get the call up later on in the season, maybe in September just to see what he's got. He's got a ways to go defensively. Uh, His bat is major league ready, but he's got a ways to go defensively. So you still have a hole at third base, but if this team 
doesn't bring back Adam Jones next year, or if they trade Adam Jones, you know, to get some prospects this year, that leaves your outfield pretty empty because more than likely, I don't see Trumbo coming back, um, not signing another deal here in Baltimore. I think he's got one year left, right? So that puts Chris Davis. Unfortunately, you you still got to have him on the roster because you're not going to eat twenty some million dollars and cut him. You know, you're just not. As much as everybody would like to see that happen, <laughs> you're not. There's a difference between not and should. <laughs> right. There's, yeah. I mean, you got you. You hope you're rolling the dice. You're hoping that maybe you can get forty home runs out of him, and you know he takes Adderall again and figures the shit out. Um, so you move you move Davis to a DH role. You move Mancini to first base. Now your entire outfield is basically up for grabs. And that's why I think it's crucial to bring these younger guys up now so you can get a look at it. Because if Cedric Mullins comes up and and, and um, Hayes. Austin Hayes comes up and they can't swim at this level, well, then you've got bigger problems going into next year. You've got an entire outfield. Field to fill, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if Cedric Mullins comes up and does well, he can play center field. If Austin Hayes comes up, he can play left. Then you're only looking at one spot. And I like what you're, I like what you're, where your head's at with this, too. Whether whether you trade out him or not, now is a good time to bring him up because have him under have him be tutored by Adam Jones. Exactly. Learn from one of the best. And, you know, he's a guy that regardless of what's going on during the year, wins and losses and all that stuff, he's a guy that goes out there and gives us 110% every game. I have never once questioned Adam Jones and his work ethic. I don't. I mean, I've never seen him not run out and hustle. I've never seen him do things. Now, granted, the only thing that I think he's been a little bit selfish on is trying to stick with center field. You know, I think center field has kind of passed him up at this point in his career. I think that they're... Well, he says he wants to play short, but he's not exactly doing that this no, year. I think he came up as a shortstop through the minor leagues before they moved into the outfield. But he is, no matter where he goes, I think next year, whether it's with us or you know somewhere else, it's in left field, left or right field. He's got to be a corner guy moving forward. I don't see another team putting him in center field. Does he become somebody's DH? Eh, I don't think he's. He, I don't think he slowed down that much. I just don't think he can patrol center field like he once did. No, no, I absolutely agree. I think he's he's past his prime when it comes to center. Uh, but I do, I do believe that he he really he's done with the Orioles after this year. Yeah, whether it's by choice of the Orioles or by choice of Adam Jones, he's made he's made the statement. He made the statement in the off season this season that he wants to be a contender. He's got friends that's got that have rings, and he wants a ring. Yeah, and and. I don't blame him one bit for that. I don't either. Long gone are the players that stick to one city for their entire career. How rare is that anymore? You know, Derek Jeter was one of those guys, but you're talking New York. It's totally different. But that's also to to me. That's also too that he's. You got to be in a. You got to be in a city now that that develops and seems to want to have and develop their players and is in it every year. Right. Not the, you know, I think Adam Jones, I think, I think a lot of those guys got tired of hearing the, you know, we're going to be competitive. Right. I think they got tired of hearing it and they, he, you know, he wants a ring and he's, he's going to do what it takes to get it. Manny's going to be the same way. That's why 
if you're if you think Manny's going to come back and sign with the Orioles next year, you're out of your damn mind. Oh yeah, no. He, there, <laughs> if Manny if Manny signs next year, I'll shit a brick. It will not happen. And even if it did, you're mortgaging this team's future because the amount of money that it would take to sign Manny Machado is going to handicap this team for future moves. And we have Manny right now. And what are we at? We're fucking eight and 26. This team has bigger needs than just Manny Machado. It would be a situation. It would be a situation like what's happening in Miami. You yeah. have to strike now while the iron is hot. Get as much as you possibly can for Machado. Get as much as you possibly can for any player that 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 someone else covets. If it's Adam Jones, I'm sorry. I love you. You'll always be an Oriole. Sayonara. Adios. If I can get two or three prospects out of you that's going to help our our future, I'm taking it. When it comes to Adam, though, my, my biggest issue, and look, I, I think he's a great player. I do not doubt that. He's great on the field. He's great off the field. Have I seen him, you know, not hustle in some plays earlier in his latter years? And he, he'll tell you that. He's, he's said it in some interviews. He's grown up. Oh, you know? yeah. You're talking about early on, his first yeah, couple yeah, no, of years. No. Yeah. But the one, the one problem I still have now, Adam Jones is a good hitter. Mm-hmm. When a curveball is not involved. <laughs> Low and away curveball is his kryptonite. It, it kills it him. always will be. It kills him every time. And, you know, there's one person I think of when I think of Adam Jones. And you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I cannot hit curveball. Straight ball, I hit it very much. Curveball, that's our friend. <laughs> Good old Joe Boo. <laughs> yes. Pedro Serrano. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's been his uh, arch nemesis his entire career. It, it's uh, Look, I love him, but at some point you got to learn. I question his eyes sometimes. Yeah. Or, as a major league hitter. How are you not reading the curveball? Yeah. I mean, we're talking curveballs from rookies that are, you know, it, we're making some of these young pitchers. Minnesota was it Barrios? Yeah, or Barria, two weeks or a week ago. We made him look like a Cy Young pitcher. Oh, I know, I know. Like I said, when you've got two hitters in your starting lineup that are hitting over two fifty, there's a fucking problem, a big problem. The problem then comes down to is it the is the players the problem? Or is it coaching? Is it the hitting staff? We've discussed this. It's, to, it's, to where do you put, point the finger? To put all this on cool ball or to put all this, you know, the pitching problems onto to Roger McDowell, you're kidding yourself if you think getting rid of one of these hitting coaches or getting rid of one of these, co- you know, these pitching coaches is going to turn this team around. <laughs> like this team has bigger titties to fry than firing one of their damn coaches. It's, it's, it's a collaborative thing. It's, just like winning is contagious, like losing has that effect on a team. When 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 a couple players are down, you know, it brings everybody down. And that's what's going on with this team right now. It's not like the, the entire roster woke up one day and forgot how to hit. Like that's or unrealistic. <laughs> I it's it's not that. It's just I think it's a mentality. Do you think it's because there's not a true leader in the in that clubhouse right now? Well, I think there was just so many question marks surrounding this team and the team's future, and if Manny's going to be dealt in the middle of the year, and where's Adam Jones going to be next? There's so much around this team that distractions and and other things other than focusing on day to day game activity that it has an effect. And if you don't think so, then you're crazy. 
Yeah, no, it absolutely. I mean, these guys hear this stuff. Now, it shouldn't affect them, but it, you know, it does. It does. It's not. It's you. You can't deny that it's it's going to affect them. But I think it's just a question of. I don't think there's a true leader in the clubhouse right now. I think Adam is is at his wit's end. You know, I, I think Buck has lost a little bit of control in that clubhouse. You know, I think he did last last year. They made the you know it was the whole thing of no more pies. Thank you, Mark Trumbo, for that one. I heard it was Davis. Davis. I've always heard it was Trumbo. I've heard it was Davis because Davis and Davis didn't like it. It got in his eyes one time or this that. Okay, fine, whatever. But find a replacement for it, for God's sake. No, I know. It's, and it's simple things, man. You have you have what you've got: Trumbo, Davis, Jones. I'm considering Machado a veteran at this point. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So you throw Scope in there, who's you know who who's great, great with everything, and then you've got on the pitching side of things. I guess now you got Cobb and you got Cashner in there as your as your guys, but they're new to newer to the clubhouse. Right. Who of those guys? Who's the leader? Because I'll tell you what, Manny Manny's probably looking at, at Jonesy on some things and going, "Dude, you don't speak for me." I don't know. I mean, you would think just looking at the roster and knowing how this team has operated in the past, your go-to guy is Adam Jones. That is your leader. I mean, he's he's the most seasoned veteran. He's the one that's been there through everything. He's been there through the shit years, and he's been there through the good years. And if anybody's going to help dig this team out of a hole, it would be him talking mentally just because he's he's been through that before, right? A lot of these guys, Scope and Manny and whatnot, they got brought up right at a time when this team turned it around, right around when things started shifting. So they've only known being in contention and winning and, and, and doing well. They don't know what it's like to go through a season like this. Now, granted, this season is at an ultimate low. Manny's got it figured out, I'll tell you that. I mean... He's got it figured out statistically because he knows that this is do or die payday for him. Like he's it, hitting three forty one right now. Right, I mean. right. He is the one shining star on this team, uh, but unfortunately, you know, baseball is the ultimate team sport. One player cannot change the outcome of a game. Uh, you know, I mean, yes, they have an effect, but unfortunately, one player can't carry you to a playoff, and we're seeing that. You know, mm-hmm. where one player on a basketball team on a five man roster, you know, that's starting that's totally different. Basketball's a different, you know, element. Um you can substitute the guys in and out. Right. You know, I mean I, I know that that's been an idea that's been played around and just and this is going off the topic just for a second. It's been an idea that's been played around with, with baseball. What's being that? able being able to substitute like the whole thing of baseball, you know, once a guy is out of the game, he's out of the game, he's done. Oh, uh, you're talking about being able to rotate people in and out. It, it, I, I mean will. that's that's baseball, baseball and softball, you know, are the, in college, I guess you can say college softball are the only sports that that happens in. Yeah. It is kind of strange. Never really thought about it that way, but so why, I mean, I don't know how much that changes the game. I mean, yeah, it helps with strategy as far as like base runners and things of that nature and, you know, substitutions for getting guys with better speed on base. But I mean, here, here's, here's my thought is, Unless there's an injury, the guy stays on, and pitchers are disqualified from it. You can't you can't have come you can't have Bundy come out and throw one inning, then Casher come out and throw one inning, then Cobb come out and throw one. You can't do uh, that. Well, I don't see a team doing that. But oh, I see. You know who I see doing it? Joe Madden. Joe Madden would do that in a heartbeat. Maybe he'd have every pitcher, every starting pitcher, come out and throw 
you know, an inning or two. I guarantee you, he would do it. And he'd bring him back. I he'd guess just if anybody would try it, it would definitely be him. It would be him. Sure, yeah. But I like the idea of, you know, it creates it creates more that matchup. If that's the direction, you know, as much as I hate it, that is the direction baseball is going. It's matchups. Yeah. It's where it's been for the past three, four years, and that's where it's going to go. So my thing is, well, why not just open it up? If I want to pull Ryan Flaherty in and pull him, have him hit one inning or have him go out in the field and field my best defensive team every inning, maybe it's not that guy that inning. Right. You know, once the inning starts, unless there is an injury, you shouldn't be able to make that change outside of a, a you know a pitch normal pitching change. Right. But to say, okay, Jonesy, you're in left this inning, or Jonesy, you're in you know center this inning, and not have to make all these changes. Wow. Or, or Jonesy, okay, we're we're gonna pull your bat out of the out of line. You know, I, I know it sounds crazy, and there'd be you'd have to really work it out. Well, that's definitely a topic we should we should dig into that further. Let's do a, uh, let's do a poll on on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, we can do that just to kind of see what everybody else thinks on on, on that kind of rule change. I see you, Matt. Uh, appreciate you tuning in, man. Um, so l- let me just switch topics. We're a little over an hour into this thing, uh, so we've covered the Capitals, we've covered the Orioles. Let's get into the Ravens. By the way, um, why is it always the thing that we like? <laughs> We're so sad about that it goes longer. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but with the Ravens, uh, obviously we dug into the draft last episode. So, we're, you know, we're kind of on from that. But there's been a lot of talks this week that Joe Flacco might be a little unhappy with the Ravens signing or, or drafting Lamar Jackson and bringing him in and whatnot. Here's my take on this thing. First of all, Flacco has said nothing. All of this speculation and talks and whatnot, it's coming out of left field. It's coming from columnists and reporters that have nothing better to do or nothing better to write about than to try to stir up some drama between Flacco and Jackson this early on. Flacco has said nothing. He's been silent on the matter. They had an interview with Lamar Jackson the other day, and a reporter asked him, has Joe Flacco reached out to you? And Lamar Jackson simply answered no. So that started all this controversy that, oh, well, Flacco must not like it, you know, must not like the fact that they drafted Lamar because re- he hasn't reached out to him. Have all the wide receivers reached out to the drafted wide receivers that we got? Have... Did Marshall Yonda reach out to the offensive lineman that we got? No, but because quarterback is such a crucial part of the team and it's the the four focus, like everybody wants to to make something of this. Has Lamar Jackson tried to reach out to Flacco? No. At some point, Flacco will come to camp. Flacco will do his due diligence and and, and show him. But honestly, I don't think personally – that Flacco's going to be the one mentoring this guy. We talked a little bit about it last week. And, you know, at first before the draft, we kind of scratched our heads with the RG3 signing and whatnot. But I think RG3 is a much better mentor for Lamar Jackson just because of their similarity in play. You know, RG3, again, can lead by example and help Lamar Jackson understand how to better protect himself from hits and how to get out of play and get down to avoid hits that that 
RG3 did not do early on his career, and that's ultimately what ended up getting him hurt. And I think if Lamar Jackson's going to lean on anybody, I think he's going to lean a little bit more on RG3 for advice than Flacco. What's your take? I, I mean, I, I agree. I think I think it's preposterous that people are, you know, make it. But I do see something here. And it's the, th- the thought and the theory. Perception is reality. Yeah. Joe Flacco needs to accept. They went out and got a quarterback. Whether you like it or not, there's a guy behind you that was taken in the first round. Right. You got two choices. You step up and accept it. And you show him, you know, hey, look, you know, I'll show you, I'll show you, kid, but I got this. Right. You know, I would have loved that comment from Lamar Jackson. He come, you know, yeah, we talked. He's, uh, you know, he's gonna, you know, he'll, he'll share some knowledge with me, but he said he's got this, and I'm gonna sit back and learn from him. I would love to see that. That didn't happen, right? Why hasn't Joe reached out? You're a quarterback. I, I, I understand that that's the case, but you got a guy that's fighting for your position. You know, you're fighting for his position. You at least are gonna reach out and say, "Hey, man, nice to meet you." And I think that day together will come. For- I don't. I don't think. See, you you almost seem to be reading into it a lot of the way that the fans are. That because that hasn't happened yet, the NFL draft was what two weeks ago. The NFL draft was two weeks ago. They just had rookie minicamp. Flacco just had baby number 50 or however many babies he's got. He's got his freaking hands full right now with the offseason. You know, these guys don't really get a whole lot of time to recoup and recover. And you got to remember, he's still oh, nursing. Yeah. He's still nursing back injuries and that kind of thing. Um, there will be a time where Flacco will come in and I think he'll, you know, he'll take him under his wing to a degree. But, you know, Flacco's made it clear, you know, last year when there were talks about bringing in Colin Kaepernick, you know, he didn't seem to to like that very much either, not for the reasons that, you know, other people might not like Colin Kaepernick being here, but because that puts a little pressure on him. I think, personally, that's going to do a lot of good for this team. Again, I said this last week, Flacco plays his best football when the pressure is at its peak. He plays his best football against the Steelers. He plays his best football against the Patriots. He plays his best football in the playoffs. He plays his best football when the stakes are the highest. And if you put a quarterback that you drafted in round one behind him, and he's got the fear of, well, if I don't perform, this guy is going to come in. He didn't have that worry with Ryan Mallett. He didn't have that worry with Tyrod Taylor. He didn't have that worry with any other quarterback that he's had sitting behind him. Now he does. That means that pressure is going to be on him week in and week out. I think that this can do a lot of good for this team, but I don't think that Flacco is also going to be a douchebag about it and not help this guy learn or not introduce himself or be the Joe Flacco, happy-go-lucky, friendly kind of guy that he is. I mean, the guy's just not a dick. He doesn't have it in him. I don't see that. I, we don't see a lot of emotion from Joe. So <laughs> it's hard to tell what's going on with Joe. Um, listen, I, I I do think 
that you're right as far as you know joe's got a lot going on he's you know with the baby and everything and that's that's definitely playing a role but i do feel like it needs to happen soon there needs to be a sit down it needs to be mediated by john harbaugh yeah john harbaugh ozzy they, they need to get in a room with joe and say you know hey guys here you go here's you know we're gonna start looking at the playbook soon um, you know, we wanted to get you guys on the same page, you know, to know what kind of office offense we're potentially looking to run here. Obviously, both you guys know we picked up two new tight ends, you know, out of the draft, got some wide receiver for you. Um, so, Joe, you know, you're going to have a lot of targets to be able to hit this year. Um, you know, so we, we really need to make sure that you guys are on the same on the same playbook. And also, you know, we can look at how we're going to, you know, include Lamar and or our G3 into into things, you know, when it comes to it. I think that needs to happen and it needs to happen soon. Yeah. Especially now that you you've got you've gotten through the mini camp for the rookies. You need to do that soon. That needs to happen ASAP. You know, that needed in my opinion, and this is where I think some of the fans are going, in my opinion, that should have happened the week after the draft. It it should have it should have been a sit down of all right, you know, here's here's gonna here's what we're seeing your role is and, and here's what we want to see from both from both of you guys. And put it out on the table in front of both of them. Don't you don't go behind a closed door with Joe Flacco and tell him one thing, and go behind a closed door with Lamar Jackson and tell him another. And I, I feel like maybe that's maybe that's not what's going on. I don't think it is. But the fact that not a word has been said, not a welcome to the team, not a text message, not a the way I understood it, there has been no reach out from Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson. Period. And I just I don't see a problem with that. Text message, phone call, post note. <laughs> I, I don't I don't see a problem with that. I just think it's too early for people to get up in arms about it. I think there will be that conversation, and I don't think it'll be a one on one conversation. I think it'll be a, a collective com- uh, conversation. You know, being realistic about it. Lamar Jackson's not going to start for this football team day one. John Harbaugh's made that clear. Joe Flacco is our quarterback moving forward. But that doesn't mean that Lamar Jackson's not going to play year one. I think that there's definitely going to be some packages that are going to both use RG3 and Lamar Jackson because it, it, it gives this offense a totally different dynamic and a totally different look. And, you know, when – you're trying to confuse defenses and things like that. You got to have different packages like that. You can't have just a vanilla offense like this team has had over these last couple of years. I think you just called Jeff Flacco vanilla. Uh, yeah, that's that's about as uh, as descriptive as you can be with Flacco. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just I think that the day will come where they will sit down and they will have that discussion. And I don't think Flacco is going to turn the shoulder to Lamar and not show him the ropes or help him out. Um, you know, here's where, here's where I might, I might disagree. It seems like there's a communication problem between Joe Flacco and his wide receivers. I think there's going to be a bigger communication problem between Joe Flacco and the guy who's looking to take his job. Well, that very well could be. I mean, it's, it's perception is somhat reality, you know, and it's in sports. It's every, everything's amplified. You know, like you said, all the reporters are doing it. Look, do I, do I think it needs, it, it should have happened. Maybe. You know, I feel like it, it should have happened, especially with, you know, a big thing of, you know, hey, welcome to the Ravens. But is it really that big of a deal? It shows character. It shows mm-hmm. character of a player when when a guy reaches out. Now, who knows? For all I know, Brett Favre could have never have even texted Aaron Rodgers or called Aaron Rodgers' name. 
I don't know. I don't. I haven't done any research. I haven't looked at it. I don't know. But I feel like that was something that would have come out, right? It is a little bit questionable with the position that the Ravens are in, and that the Ravens in post at the 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 postseason pet press conference, post regular season press conference last year. It was real evident with some of the statements that were being made that Steve Bashotti was not happy yeah. with Joe Flacco. So to me, that is a huge red flag for Joe Flacco. You better get your shit together and you better get it together real quick. Here, here's the thing, though. So all this stuff with, with Joe Flacco and not reaching out, this is the last thing I'm going to say about it and we're going to move on. This is right up Joe Flacco's MO. This isn't anything different than what Joe Flacco's done in the past. He has never been a go above and beyond type of player or quarterback, right? When you watch him on the sidelines, he just sits on the bench. He doesn't engage with his players. He doesn't try to get players fired up. He doesn't dig into the playbook and look at, you know, what he did wrong or what he did right and things of that nature. He just kind of a go with the flow Joe. You know, he's never taken it upon himself to go above and beyond with his receivers and meet in the offseason, like you mentioned, and work with them. And, you know, he's never been that guy. He's a nine to five, we'll say, kind of quarterback. And I don't I don't think that this is anything different. I don't think that this is a personal shot at Lamar Jackson. I just think that this is Joe being Joe. I can see that. And point. I think that the media is just making a bigger deal out of it. But I can definitely see that point. That's just that's just uh my take on it. Now the one thing I did want to ask you we're getting kind of heavy on time here, but the last thing I did want to touch on about the quarterback situation. What does this mean for John Harbaugh moving forward? There's obviously a shift in things going on offensively and the way that this team is going to operate moving forward. So does this drafting of Lamar Jackson buy Harbaugh more time, or does this mean the end of John Harbaugh and a change in leadership is coming? I think it depends on how John Harbaugh responds to this year. If Joe Flacco comes out and I'll, I'll give it two games. If Joe Flacco does not, step it up in Steve Bishotti's eyes in two games. Harbaugh's got a decision to make. Do you put Lamar Jackson in? That quickly, two games? I give it two games. I don't think I don't think Bishotti has I'm not talking preseason games. I'm talking regular season. Yeah, so no, he's got all preseason, all all mini camp or all camp to do it. But I think he's got two games. It, it, That's if, a short leash. I think it is. I think I think Bashadi Bashadi's comments at like I said, and we'll we'll have to put them up. We'll see if we'll see if we can put them up on on Facebook and and Twitter this week. His comments from the end of the season last year were very heavy and very critical of Joe. I think Joe is on a short leash when it comes to this as well. You know, Joe has to perform, and if not, if Harbaugh doesn't make that decision on that third game to go. Joe, I got I, 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 you, you dumped and you shit the bed the first two games. Yeah, but is that really setting Lamar Jackson up for the best path to succeed? Putting him in after two weeks in his rookie year into an offense. Now you got to remember, it's not a simple plug and play 
with the offensive no, but you can, game you, calling with you those can, two. If you think they're not going to be working on this and working on a backup plan no. during camp, the, the, Lamar Jackson, he may not be 100% ready. First game's going to be a dust him off. But I think he, he after that, it, they'll, they'll work on it enough. They he will get enough snaps in training camp and in in the the preseason games that if it comes down to it and Joe needs to sit, Joe's gonna sit. I don't know. I I, I kind of I have a different opinion. I think that I think Joe Flacco is on a leash. I don't think his leash is as short as two games. I think that. <clears throat> How long do you think it is then if it's not two? I don't I don't know. I don't know if I can put a number on it. I think it's just kind of depending upon how the season shakes out. You know what I mean? If because a team can be four and one and in really good position, or they could be four and one and tied with two other teams in their division at four and one. You know what I mean? Like there's there's so many things and so many other variables that kind of come into play. Well, these, with how these rookies play in and work with Joe Flacco will be a thing too. If they're more of a problem than know, Joe is, then that'll that'll definitely right. There's a lot of things that. that play into that, but I just think that first of all, I don't think if if the leash is two weeks, let's just say you're right, and the leash is two weeks. Flacco comes in, lays an egg week one, lays an egg week two, week three. There's a new starter. I don't think it's Lamar Jackson. I think it's RG three first. I think RG3 comes in because he's got the experience. I don't think they mortgage Lamar Jackson's future by putting him in too early before he's ready. There's a big learning curve between college and the NFL. Very, very few quarterbacks make it transitioning from day one right into right. The, you know to the NFL. Flacco was one of those guys because of injuries and everything that happened with the Ravens. He got thrown into the mix and he swam. But I think a lot of that had to do with the offense and the style of offense that he ran at Delaware was kind of similar to what the Ravens were doing here. So obviously it was a much bigger playbook, but similar. So he didn't fail right away. This is going to be switching over from Flacco to RG3 and, and Lamar Jackson is going to be a learning curve for the entire offense. Not just not just RG3, not just Lamar Jackson, not just Joe. It's going to be an entire offensive learning curve. The line's got to it's going to have totally different blocking assignments and different blocking schemes. The wide receivers are going to be running different routes and different route trees based on, you know, the style of offense and that kind of thing. So it's a learning curve for everybody. So Everybody's you, basically got to learn two styles of offense, two playbooks. So you think you think they will carry Three quarterbacks. I think that this will be the one year that they actually carry three quarterbacks. You know, a lot of teams do carry three quarterbacks. We were actually one of the few that only carry two, and we kind of got used to that because that's been their way. I think that RG3 didn't make sense to me in the beginning when they first signed him, but now it does. I think that there's still a lot that, that Lamar Jackson can learn from RG3 and his mistakes and things that he made in the past. Um and I think that, again, he's an insurance policy. If exactly what you say happens, happens. If he comes in and if Joe Flacco comes in and lays an egg in two weeks or three weeks or whatever that leash may be, they need to have somebody that can bridge the gap between Flacco and Lamar and not risk throwing Lamar out there too early and him either mentally going through problems because the, the the change in the game 
or physically having problems, Injury. you know, injuries and that kind of thing with yeah. it being too soon. That's just my take on it. And we'll see. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things. Only that time happen. will tell. And that's, that's right. Only time will tell. All I can tell you is I'm excited. I think for the future, I'm excited to see the changes that the team's going to make and what kind of different look this offense is going to be made. You know, I talked about it weeks ago, you know, back, back it's a couple months ago, you know, when I go to a lot of games, you know, I, this will be the first year I'm actually a PSL owner, so I'll be at every game. But I go to a lot of games even prior. It was sad to see, like, so many open seats at the games. Now, I know a lot of the open seats had other reasonings, you know, as far as, like, political stances and that kind of thing with the kneeling and all that kind of stuff. I know that was a factor. But I really think the bigger factor with the seats and the lack of fan support was that people just got bored. People got bored with the same offensive struggles struggles that they've had for years in and year out. This team has lacked personality. It's lacked excitement. Um, you know, since, since, like I said, since Ray Lewis retired, you know, they don't even have that to lean on anymore. You know, Steve Smith is now gone on the offensive side, so they don't really have anybody to light a fire. Terrell Suggs is the one guy left standing that's still kind of carrying the the throne of the Ravens past. You know what I mean? He's like the, the ghost of Ravens past. <laughs> That's what I feel like Terrell Suggs is. Um, and I think that Lamar Jackson and the change that we're going to see in off in the offense is going to get fans excited and get people back into the stands there. I don't know exactly what the numbers were, but right after the Ravens drafted Lamar Jackson, there was a huge spike in Lamar Jackson jersey sales for the Ravens. Like it was it was 400 times what it had been in past years with first round draft picks. There's obviously a lot of excitement surrounding this guy. I am one of those guys, you know, and it's it's a gamble with him. We don't know. I mean, he he typically a lot of mobile quarterbacks don't make it at the NFL level. There are some that have, but a lot of them don't. But this guy, if you go back and you look at his stats, just go back. Even if you've never watched Lamar Jackson play, YouTube him. Just YouTube Lamar Jackson highlights. (laughs) It'll be the most entertaining 10 or 15 minute video clip that you've ever watched. Like, and if that doesn't get you excited for the future of this team, then you don't have a pulse. I tell you one thing that that he's excited about. And he, he revealed it this week when they talked about Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst. Yeah. His face apparently lit up and he, his comment was they're live. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he loves these guys. Both yeah. of them can catch the ball. Like we talked about, you know, before over the middle. And I think you're going to see that they're going to have the ability to block really well. I mean, Hayden Hurst is a big dude. Yeah. You know, he's, he's going to block really well. Um, you know, and then having the addition of a guy like Jordan Lasley who can come in and I think, be a little bit more of a threat and help Jackson out um, on some bigger some bigger plays. I think that's going to be a good connection for him. Right. So you know he's got the inside guys, he's got the outside guys. And this is just guys he's working with in minicamp. Right. You know this isn't even this isn't even a full full roster yet. Um, you know he hasn't. I don't even think he worked. You know I don't know if he's if he's gotten in contact with Crabtree or all, at all or anything like that. I would be interested to see if Lamar Jackson steps out to any of these guys. Yeah, I can um, see that happening. But, you know, the, those guys, I think, are going to play a huge role. The fact that he was, you know, every article that I was reading that mentioned that, 
just every article mentioned the smile on his yeah. face when they when he was asked about Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst. Like that just tells me, all right, this is this could be a great fit, and maybe it's good for Joe too. You know, we'll find out during training camp. Right, but the fact that your 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 number one starter is already feeling comfortable in a mini camp, yeah, it's a good sign. Yeah, no, sign. absolutely, man. I like I said, I'm super excited. So. We'll see, man, but we're we're an hour and 25 minutes into this thing. So uh, for an episode that we weren't prepared for, really, we didn't have a whole lot of notes planning or anything. I think we made do there for a while. Uh, I apologize for the technical difficulties. I didn't realize that uh, apparently my mic was not live earlier. So uh, if you were uh, <laughs> if you were listening for the first maybe 30 or 45 minutes and uh, couldn't hear me clearly, that uh, that was my fault. Um uh, so we will make sure that that doesn't happen for future episodes. <laughs> but uh, we, we appreciate each and every one of you tuning in. Uh, do us a favor, man. Hit share on this post. You know, Share the video out. Share Birdland BS a little bit just to help us get the word out there. We're trying to do this uh, every week for you guys. Um, you know, it's, it's, We're not making any money off of this thing. This is just the two of us having fun and talking shit with, with sports, man. We, uh, <laughs> and we want to hear what everybody, what everybody's got to say too. I mean, I know a lot of people have, have viewed our videos. Um, you know, I know that several of the videos have, have he have reached, you know, over 300 views. Yeah. Um, you know, our instant reactions on YouTube. If you haven't checked those out, check out our instant reactions on YouTube. And it's, it's great that people are, you know, are watching it. We also want to hear from you guys too. Yeah. So definitely comment, you know, send us, send us messages, um, you know, tweet us out. You know, we definitely want to hear you. We want to hear what you have to say. If you want us, if there's, you've got a topic you want to hear us talk about, reach out to us, let us know, you know, we're, we're a show, you know, for our fans, um, you know, of ba- the Baltimore area. And we're going to, you know, make you happy and, and want you, want you to want to listen and share with your friends to, to come out every week. Absolutely. So, like you said, you know, follow us on all the social media networks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Everything is at BirdlandBS. Check out the website, www.BirdlandBS.com. Our podcast, the audio podcast, is pretty much everywhere. It's on iTunes, Google Play, coming to Spotify in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. They're a little slow with the whole approval process. So, if you've got Spotify, we will be there. Um, and that's it. Uh, I think uh, Buck has one word he wants to say. What's that? Don't be so humble. You're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> no, Buck, we're not that good. But hey, we're, uh, we're Buck gonna... needs to be saying that to his team right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, he needs to. He's got bigger titties to fry, as I said earlier. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you tuning in for Birdland BS. I'm Fred. I'm Scott. We'll see you guys. See ya. One body.